Welcome to the Treat the Cause podcast with Dr. Greg Emerson, physician, professional athlete, dive instructor, yoga instructor, wilderness survival instructor, and biohacker. Combining lessons from history with medicine from the West, East, science, tradition, and spirituality to optimize health, performance, and longevity. Hi, this is Dr. Greg Emerson. If you're interested in how your microbiome affects your health and how the microbiome of the soil affects the planet and our goal of sustainable living, we're about to get started. And I'm here with Jay Jackson from Organic Motion, who we're going to talk to today about permaculture, sustainable living, globalism versus minimalism, and what we, what we can do to save the planet. What I really want to talk today was about some new research on the microbiome and new research on the traditional life of hunter-gatherers. And it's interesting that uh, we used to think that the only microbiome in the body was the gut. And when I say microbiome, I'm talking about the plethora of good bacteria, good viruses, um, good fungi, which live inside our gut. But not only does it live inside our gut, we now know it also lives on our skin. There's a microbiome in the vagina. But interestingly, and this has only happened because we've developed new ways of testing for organisms. So the problem was that the only way we had of detecting organisms was basically with culture and growing agar plates with swabs. And we've been doing that for you know, over 100 years. But now with the introduction of DNA analysis, we're able to look for the DNA of organisms. And we're finding that it's not only the gut, it's not only the skin, it's not only the vagina, but just about every organ has its own microbiome and the lungs have their own microbiome. And even last week it came out that the urinary tract, the bladder, has its own microbiome. And we also found that the fetus has a gut microbiome. We used to think that the microbiome of a newborn baby came, was developed when it passed out through the mother's vagina, which was this worry about babies born by caesarean section. But now, the research has shown that a fetus, a few months old, still inside its mother, has its own microorganisms mm. in, its, uh, in its gut. We haven't quite worked out how they get there yet. That's next to come. And, and so now that we've discovered there's a microbiome of the bladder, and the whole idea of these microbiomes is that they protect us from bad organisms. I've always said it's like having marima dogs and the Marima dog is a sheep dog, which is commonly used farm on farms in Australia, which lives with the flock of animals, lives with the sheep, uh, and protects it from wild dogs. And these good organisms help protect us from the pathogenic organisms, which is one of the reasons that, that we have to focus on keeping that microbiome healthy. Mm. Because not only is it uh, there to protect us, but also has therapeutic effects. We know that most of the serotonin, which makes us feel good, keeps us happy, is produced in the gut. We know most of our immune system is based in our gut. So if you don't have a healthy microbiome in your gut, if you don't have a healthy microbiome in your bladder, the consequences are much more than just getting a pathogenic infection in that area. The other interesting thing about this DNA analysis is that we're finding that that we're finding pathogenic organisms as well when they haven't shown up on culture for so years. 
we've, you know, if we've done a, a urine culture on somebody who thinks they have a urinary tract infection and we didn't grow anything, we said, well, you don't have an infection. But now we're finding that there's, you know, we often find E. coli in bladders which don't show up on culture but are showing up on DNA analysis. So the ability to detect the DNA of organisms is uh, really revolutionising medicine. It's, it's a new paradigm, basically. I mean, our paradigm has been based on the fact that the human body is sterile except for the skin and the gut. But now we know that's completely incorrect. Mm. So the paradigms are changing, which means we have to... It behooves us... I love that word. I don't use it very much, but... I like to use it when I can to look after our microbiome. So how do we do that? Well, the first thing is is we feed it. So, and, and particularly what the, the evidence is now showing is that, um, you know, the sunlight is incredibly important. And uh, getting sunlight on your abdomen is a really good way of uh, looking after your microbiome. Because some of that light is absorbed into the body. It's just not reflected off the outside. And particularly the red light uh, communicates. We now know with the organisms in the gut. Um, we know that uh, cold thermogenesis, getting in cold water, is good for the microbiome. You don't get to do a lot of that in cans, obviously. Um, but, uh, and it does that because when we get cold, our mitochondria try and warm us up, but also so does our gut. And so the, we've, we know that the microbes in the gut multiply in a way to warm us up when in cold water. And of course then, good healthy foods and fermented foods and kefirs and kombuchas and all that sort of thing. But the other thing that we really need to focus on doing is not destroying our microbiome. So how do we do that? Well, we, we, we avoid things which destroy it. We know that pesticides, which I'll talk to you about because that's a big part of not using pesticides, is a big part of the whole permaculture concept. Um, minimizing our exposure to pesticides and herbicides minimising our exposure to antibiotics, only using them when they're absolutely necessary. Um, uh, we know that chlorine in water, chlorine is in water to kill bugs. Well, I don't really want to be drinking water with chlorine in it then if it's going to kill the microbes. Now, don't get me wrong, sometimes you've got to put chlorine in your water. You don't want to drink water full of whole pathogenic organisms either. But, but the easy solution is, is either to drink spring water or to filter the water of chlorine before you drink it. But the other thing we need to do, of course, is filter the shower water as well. So I think a shower filter is a really good idea. Because if you're getting skin problems and you're showering in chlorinated water every day, you're going to be damaging the microbiome of your skin, which is there to protect you against mm -hmm. other organisms. So we're, we're discovering that the human body is not sterile. It's this living, breathing, interconnected group of cells and organisms and we now know there's you know 10 times more microbes in our body than human cells and most of our dna actually comes from viruses we now know the viral dna that's been incorporated into our dna and that really takes us on to the whole concept of permaculture and what you're doing with organic motion so we were talking before about there being two big arms to your work, one which is setting up private gardens on the basis of permaculture, and the second one is with community gardens and food sharing. And I really want to talk to you about both of those arms, and also I really want to talk to you about the concept of minimalism versus globalism, the concept of local and seasonal. 
And I've just got back from Bali, as a lot of people know, where I was doing my yoga course, and there's a real movement there to local and seasonal, and minimalism, that we don't need, that sometimes enough is enough, and we don't need to harm the planet anymore. I, I, I don't like the concept of, well, let's stuff up this planet, but in the meantime, we'll see if we can set up colonies on the moon or Mars. Yeah. You know, how about we look after this planet? How about sometimes enough is enough and I don't need a bigger car and I don't need this and I don't need that. And of course now we're seeing one of the problems with globalism is that, you know, it works great. It's great that I can get apples from California in our off season, but there's a cost to that. One of the costs we're discovering now is that, you know, if there's some sort of global pandemic, then we're in some trouble if we've learned to rely on, and we're seeing that now, and the, the trouble is perhaps not going to be with our health, but it's going to be with our financial system if we can't get a whole lot of goods and services from another country, and we're not able to do it ourselves, we're going to be in trouble, and as are the financial markets. And I think the whole local versus seasonal, I mean, Western A. Price, who did all his nutrition work in the 1920s, really discovered that the key to good health is having your food being local and seasonal um, and not uh, eating outside those parameters. So let's talk a little bit about organic motion and how it fits in with those concepts that we've just discussed. So first of all, tell us a little bit about how long you've been going and how it was set up and then talk about the two arms that you've got going. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Greg. Uh, great to be here. So Organic Motion, we operate as a social enterprise, a private wing of the business, edible landscapes and designs, where we deliver commercial landscapes from balcony to broad acre. And we've done everything from small courtyards, balconies, uh, backyard gardens, right through to you know, lifestyle blocks, and even more recently, farm design and market garden design for people wanting to make a return from their, from their acreage. And, and so that's, that operation has been in its current form uh, for nearly four years now. And we've, we've, we've built that up to, to, quite a good, to quite a good level where we, we employ, employ people to work with us. And I see that as an opportunity for, for younger people to move into an industry that didn't used to exist. Uh, there was never an opportunity when I left school to uh, become a landscaper and learn about how I can grow food. Um, in fact, when I first uh, studied horticulture, the f one of the first things we learned about was chainsaws and pesticides, you know, and the safety around all of it. And I was like, whoa. Uh, so, so now I'm, I'm really excited and the passion that I have that, that fuels that business there is to be able to give people a, a, a garden that's, that's aesthetically pleasing. It fits into their current lifestyle. And, but also produces food or, or tea or useful materials like bamboo, you know, things that can, that can be used on the property or, or in their lifestyle as well. Of course, herbal medicines are becoming more popular. A lot of people are doing, um, you know, either tinctures or salves or balms or, you know, stuff at home, which is which comes from sort of the days of apothecary, you know, where, where people knew what foods helped them at different times, you know, through different uh, viruses or illnesses, you know, so, so that's just, really Can I ask you, what are some of the most popular ones that you found that people are doing at home? 
terms the, of herbs and oh yeah like, yeah what, what and and fermentations okay. is, is definitely the most popular um you know talking about microbiome is is so important the the gut health now you know it's been a, it's been a big thing and when i met the first time i met someone with Crohn's disease uh, and they were telling me their experience and i said wow have you have you heard about fermentations you know lacto ferments and they had never heard of them right. you know uh, so the most popular one that i would say would be kombucha or, or sauerkraut right. i think it's it's quite easy okay. uh, but also people are doing kefir yep. you know and even even pickling you right. know uh, so um, and preserving food as well right. is really important yeah. when we live in a in a seasonal in, in the tropics where we have so many so much abundance in in fruit yeah. through um, through the wet season for instance yeah. um, and drying that and preserving that and so what are some of the herbs popular herbs that you found that people are yeah utilizing? yeah so one of, one of, you know what's interesting is one of the most common ones is is parsley yeah, it doesn't have to be exotic. I mean, I'm a huge, exactly. I'm a huge fan of cat's claw and uh, pow darko. It doesn't really fit in with my local and seasonal because I've got to get it from the Amazon. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, I, I like, I love the concept of using Amazonian bark to keep me healthy, but it doesn't have to be that way. We can yeah. grow our own herbs. So, sorry, Karen, what, what are the ones that you found that people are doing here? Yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, so there's there's also one uh, motherwort that, yeah. that's come into my, um, I guess, in my field a little more recently, yeah. and. Uh, there's um, mother of herb as well, yep. which is a really powerful one, yep. which is which is really useful. Um, dandelion, yeah, uh, dandelion's a, a friend of mine. I enjoy dandelion. Um, I, I, I'm growing dandelion. Yeah, because I think it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to wait till it comes up on my lawn. I, I want some, you know, available all the time. So, right. And it, yeah. You know, it frustrates me. His, it's one of my great pet frustrations. Here's this plant, which the whole plant is food and medicine. The mm-hmm. root, the leaf, the flower. Yeah. And you'll keep seeing these adverts on TV how to kill it off. It's like, here's this plant which is giving us medicine and food. Mm-hmm. And giving us beautiful little yellow flowers as well. Yeah. Which we can eat, but also look good. And we're, we're you know, killing it off. When yeah. It's free food, basically. Well, and, and what's, what's, what I really like to, you know, uh, mention to people is, you know, the Latin names for certain, for certain herbs. So, for instance, you know, common ginger. Um, Zingiber officinalis, you know, and so that that species name officinalis came from right back, right back in um, days of Hermes and and the, the understanding of that food is medicine, you yeah. know, uh, and uh, and and so the other one is um, Herb Robert, you oh, know, yeah. yep, and um, lemon verbena, uh-huh. you know, so um, Melissa officinalis, you know, and. And so, and the understanding these names were given this official name yeah. because it was recognised as official medicine, yeah. you know, back in back in yeah. the day. And another one is um, the Sambucus nigra, which is um, elderberry or elderflower. Right. Yep. You know? and it grows it grows wild, and, yeah. and, and you know, it's a, it's a it's really good to chop back and use for mulch. Um, but it also is is one of the main ingredients in sambucul. Which is used for cold and flu, you know, which is a product that you can buy and pack it on a shelf. But if people were aware that it grew like a weed, for instance, yeah. makes a nice bush and it grows beautiful flowers yeah. as well, then I think um, that could be incorporated into many more gardens uh, instead of something that is just there to look good and they have and it has no medicinal values or use at all. The two the two weeds that plagued me in speech marks when I had my fifty acre permaculture farm were um, thistle. 
and Farmer's Friend. And then I discovered that both of them were not really weeds. Well, they are weeds. Weeds is a plant growing in a place you don't want it. That's right, yeah. Um, well, I decided I wanted them. And I spent a lot of time <coughs> turning both thistle and uh, Farmer's Friend into tinctures and using them in salads and stuff. And rather mm-hmm. than spending days trying to destroy them, I spent days turning them into medicines. Mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about what actually permaculture is. Sure, yeah. So I really love this. There's so many definitions. Permaculture is a system of design that seeks to provide for the needs of a community or, an, or a business or an organization or a family, for instance, uh, within its own system. So it uses closed-loop thinking that is using waste as the source of energy for another part of the system. And it's a way that we can design our, our landscapes, our businesses, organizations, maybe one day governments um, and countries um, in a way that we can look to meet our needs from what we have available. And, and instead of letting something go to waste or be, be thrown away, how can that then be used as fuel for another part of the system? Yeah, so that, that's the way I like to describe it. Or having lavish dinner parties, eating organic food and living to the ripe old age of yes. 90. <laughs> which is what all the Blue Zones were did. You know, the Blue Zones research. So the, you know, food was very important. But just as important was eating it around a dinner table with friends and family that you love. Mm-hmm. That, uh, that made a huge difference as well. Yeah. Uh, so one arm of your business is helping people set up their own garden, but tell me a little bit of a second arm where, which is more of a food swap, yeah. food conference, because it's interesting, while I was setting up today, there was this research that came out, I think it was in Nature Magazine, I'll leave the, I'll leave the reference to the study in the, in the notes uh, below, but it showed that now they've got research from the Philippines that hunter-gatherer tribes from 300,000 years ago, even though they lived remotely, spent a lot of time moving between community groups, swapping food, teaching about food, teaching about medicinal foods and, and how to use them to stay healthy. And we've lost that a little bit. We just you know, jump in the car and drive down the supermarket now. So tell me yeah. a little about this. And, and look, I grow really good, I've got dragon fruit growing everywhere. I grow really good dragon fruit. I grow really, grow really good aloe vera. Um, I grow really good grapefruit. But my blueberries suck. My tomatoes suck. So uh, it's much better for me if I can, rather than trying to be good at everything, mm-hmm. or I concentrate on a couple of foods. And that's what you're trying to encourage, isn't it, with yeah. this kind of food source? So tell us a little yeah. about the food swapping idea. Yeah. So so the business is there to to offer that you know straightforward one-to-one exchange of I want a garden and we can give it to you and we can help you look after it and yep. come to learn and to know about it. Yes. So typically those people, what I've noticed, they're busy professionals, they're interested in the health and very concerned about the well-being, um, but they don't live that lifestyle necessarily um, too alternatively. Uh, at the other end of it, which is which is where I feel myself and, and my business partners have came from, is wanting to be alternative and wanting to live that, that minimalist lifestyle, um, low impact, low footprint, and um, low food miles. And 
and in that is is a community. It's it's a it's a sense of community supporting each other. You yeah. know, looking after each other, looking out for each other. And it's not just I get in my car, I go to work, and I, you know, get annoyed if someone cuts me off. It's about sharing, sharing the roads, sharing you know, you know, the load in a sense. And that's one of the permaculture ethics. You know, of course, there's earth care. We care for the earth first because it gives us everything we need. We care for each other, yeah. but then fair share. And that's and that's where the Earth Care Collective, which is our non-profit uh, charity that operates in, in, as a uh, donation gift recipient, in other words, they can offer tax invoices for donations, uh, is, which we're openly taking donations for, and that is set up to grow and nurture and, and gather people together for skills and sustainability. So it, it's, it really encompasses everything from you know, lacto-ferments, learning about who does that and, and running workshops on how to, how to teach people how easy that is to squish a cabbage with some salt, you know, and, yep. and how beneficial that can be for your gut health. Uh, right through to, um, for instance, um, alternative healing modalities and, um, you know, some of the information that you're talking about uh, and, and, and how we can live our life with an understanding of, of a holistic approach so that we... Well, every anybody has the opportunity to be more connected to themselves, okay. and and by understanding more about ourselves, we can connect in with different parts of our bodies and be aware of that. Yeah. So the Earth Care Collective is an opportunity for people to gather, nurture, and grow skills and sustainability, and we do that. You know, in this first twelve months, is is about awareness raising, holding community events, local events, anything from movie screenings where people can bring along their produce from home or bring along home-cooked recipes or, or food that they've prepared from their own garden, sharing that and sharing that knowledge around that with other people. So I can bring along my sack of dragon fruit and swap a few of sack of manuscript. That's exactly right, yeah. And then we have a, a big swap table and not just produce as well, but seeds, cuttings, um, maybe some excess baby clothes. Right. You know, the, okay. the idea is, is that it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a place and it's a an exciting or an entertaining opportunity for people to actually gather with other members of their community. Oh, community is huge. I mean, we now live in a society where I don't know who my neighbours are. Yeah. And we know that the biggest health problem in, in many countries now is loneliness. Mm -hmm. And we've lost that sense of tribe and belonging. And we know as soon as we lose that sense of tribe, um, and that book, Tribe, by, I can't remember the name of the author, I'll put that in the show notes as well really has shown that that loss of sense of community and tribe is really starting we're a social species yeah and when you when you mentioned that and you talked about hunter gatherer I, I guess aspect of, of of our evolution what's really interesting in modern society is, is that it's very much i need to take care of me and go get my thing and bring it back to to me and 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 my family what we don't use often rots in the fridge or something and gets thrown out so by these events we can communicate uh, around composting for instance you know, or if someone does have a lime tree that's overflowing, they can pick a basket of limes, or if they can't themselves, single mother or too busy, whatever it may be, they can let people know, yeah. hey, the tree's on Lake Street, you can pop by any time and, and, and pick the limes, you know, and share them. Yeah. And so it's, it's that sense of, I've got an abundance, you know, so that's the third principle of, uh, the third ethic of permaculture is fair share. You know, so it's about sharing what, we, what is in excess and what's in abundance, 
uh, so that others can do the same. You know, it's also about looking after the soil, isn't it? Oh, it's huge. You, it's you huge. can't go gr- good produce if you've got shit soil. Yeah. Fair comment. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and I think you, when you began earlier, you know, I got really, I get really excited in that because that's that's an area that I'm. Uh, very very focused on and understanding and in helping people connect with themselves through food through the plants and then yeah. ultimately to to our earth yeah. to the mother that provides all of our needs yeah. so if we're not caring at that level if we're not caring for the, the health of the soil yeah. and the organisms in the soil yeah. then how is it then that we can truly care for a plant and yeah. the food and ourselves yeah. you know and so, so the soil is just like our microbiome basically it's full of these good organisms mm-hmm. and I was reading in the New Zealand Organic magazine on the flight up you know uh, about the importance of worms and the three layers of worms each worm you know earthworm three different types of earthworm in three different layers and the importance of you know they're just realizing now the importance of the dung beetle and what that does for the soil and I think that you know we keep spraying stuff on that we keep taking out of the soil not putting things back into it. I keep saying to people, it's like, look, it's like you and I going to the bank and withdrawing, depositing $3 and withdrawing $100. Well, we can't keep doing that for very long. Mm -hmm. And again, that's one of the things I love about dandelion is you can't kill it because it's taproot for so long. And I think I calculated once that, you know, the dandelion root, an established plant, is probably down in soil that was formed 300,000 years ago Mm -hmm. that we haven't ruined yet by Mm -hmm. taking all the minerals out of it or about killing the microbes in it. And that's what we that's what we refer to as, as a bioaccumulator. You know, something something that can tap into that soil where where nutrients and minerals might be locked up. Right. And that's not accessible through a tomato, for instance. Right. That has a more of a delicate root system. Yeah. Um, and typically, our modern or, or commercial um, herbs and veggies uh, are grown in in situations where they're not forced to build strong root systems, right? Because everything's handed to them in a liquid fertilizer. Yeah, and so what we see then is then the, the vigor of the plant, the, the plant structure, the cellulose of the structure, and then therefore the fruit is not containing those trace elements and minerals that exist in the soil where plants would, would naturally grow. And so what I really say to people is, what I love to say, uh, for instance, about compost, is that you know by by food breaking down with some grass clippings or some shredded paper or you know and, and by adding that back to the soil what we, we're giving the food we're giving food to the soil and it's the soil itself that feeds the plant and so coming away from this concept that I need to go to a shelf and buy something in a plastic packet that's come from a factory that might have got mined from somewhere else around the world from this you know, big company with lovely pictures and, and lovely sized fruit on the on the packet and then add that to the plant thinking that that's actually going to give me what I need yeah. instead of the very thing that soil's made of, you know. And so the more that, that I in, encourage that awareness around caring for soil yeah. and, and the health of soil, yeah. then the easier it is that plants grow. Yeah. And I'm often faced with people, oh, no, no, I just, I just kill everything, you know, like oh, I've got a brown thumb, da, da, da. It's like... And then they, they're amazed to see when I put a garden in with tropical right. species, for yep. instance, you know, gingers and turmerics and bananas yes. and, and papayas and passion fruits, yes. you know, and, and they're like, wow, wow, I couldn't believe I never had this much, yeah. this much food, da, 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 and I haven't done anything. It's like, because we fed the soil. Yes. You know, we've started with, with a healthy substrate, you know, and, and instead of stripping it back and, and, and tearing it down, we're actually building it up and, and providing that yeah. that life and sustenance to the soil, which gives it to the plants, to our food, 
to ourselves. And you're also teaching people about local foods. I mean, you don't want to set up, if somebody came to you and said, look, I want to set up a cherry orchard uh, up in Cairns, you'd say, well, no, you probably need to, you know, I went, went cherry. <laughs> Maybe up on the table. Cherry, <laughs> you know, in Wanaka. So, you know, so you might be a brown thumb because you're trying to grow the wrong food for your local area. And the other really exciting thing is that you don't need an acre. You can have an apartment with a small balcony. Mm -hmm. And if if I had an apartment with a small balcony, I've only got a small, you know, suburban plot now, but it's, you know, there's no grass. It's all covered in plants. But you can cover your terrace on your balcony with, Mm -hmm. I mean, if I had an apartment, I'd give you a call and say, okay, Look, uh, what can I grow on my terrace, and what permaculture can I use on my terrace of my apartment? And, yeah. You know, you can get worm farms now, and I think any garden without a worm farm is just crazy because mm-hmm. of the verma, 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 yeah, that you can, that I pour on my garden. I think it's just fabulous. Mm-hmm. I, it's, it's, I love it. I mean, you can set that up on a, an apartment yeah. terrace now. And so I, I this, having an apartment is no excuse. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, recently did that, and it was a lady that said, oh, I just don't think I can grow anything. She's got sea breezes, you know, only gets, you know, half a day of sun because she's on a balcony. And we've successfully now growing spinaches, parsley, chives, um, cherry tomatoes, passion fruits. She's got a small lime tree, like a dwarf lime and a dwarf lemon, uh, because she likes, uh, she, she likes... Um, aperitifs with her beverages, right. uh, and um, and some and some gotacola and brahmi, which are, which are other herbs that I, th- I thought to mention earlier. Which you know, gotacola is known as, as the arthritis herb, um, along with along with turmeric, known to reduce inflammation. And when I see a ninety-year-old person jump up out of their chair and shaking their arms, their, their elbows and their knee and saying all I do is, is I eat more turmeric than I used to and, and they don't suffer from arthritis as badly, you know, that says something, you know, that's, that's living proof and living result, you know. Brahmi is another great herb which is great for memory, yeah. you know, and, and cognitive, you know, we hear of ginkgo and, um, and, and ginseng as brain herbs, you know, but uh, gochicola and, and brahmi, for instance, um, uh, are things that, that grow literally like weeds, you know, and and we would say to people, you know, grow food, not lawns. But it's not always just growing food. You know, we also put in some butterfly vine on, on her balcony, we put in some marigold flowers right. um, and puchalakas as well, you know. So what I also, you know, in, in this understanding is is that it's not just about growing food. And when you said, you know, I got a really good dragon fruit but not this, so why would I try and do everything and maybe just focus on yeah. something? Some people don't have the time, the space, or, or the awareness, or potentially the, the effort to, to put into the soil to grow food, because growing food does take energy. Yeah. You know, it gives us energy, it gives yeah. us life, yeah. so why wouldn't we give it some energy? Um, but what I, what's really, really big now is, is around bees. You know, understanding that growing a, growing a bee-friendly garden and, and different flowers that attract different pollinators is really, really beneficial, not to just to the individual garden, but to the wider community. You know, so, so there's much more than just food you know, that, that permaculture is about. It's, right. it's herbs and medicines and useful plants and, and, and benefits to, to the ecosystem as well. Grow your own food, form a tribe and a community, minimalize our footprint, go local and seasonal rather than global, and you can do it in your apartment. You don't yeah. need 
yeah an acre yeah and so many people that are that are that are retiring or that are the kids have left the property for instance and 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 are saying oh i want to you know i always wanted to grow fruit trees you know yeah. but i've just never done it you know yeah. i've been too busy or the kids or this and that and now they have that opportunity and they're willing to invest in themselves right. you know not everyone wants to travel and be a grey nomad and this awareness around global footprint you know and carbon emissions and yeah. that i think is helping people really realize like hey i can make a difference in my own property you know in my own yard or my own acreage you know and the great thing about the the social enterprise that we set up is is that you know it's an open platform and it's welcoming to to anybody it's based on caring for each other caring for the earth and fair share and and i'm not looking to be you know the best paid ceo in the world at you know uh, at, a, at any cost but more so offering the opportunity for people to to come into this industry you know and come into that community the tribe of people that are naturally healthy because they're eating locally and they're eating seasonally yeah. you know and they're eating local honey for instance which which has you know like you were saying the microorganisms from our local environment so yeah yeah there's just there's just so many benefits to it you know it's, i miss my bees i think you can have bees on suburban blocks now is that right yeah 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 especially with australian native bees can you have can you have normal honey bees or it has to be Australian native bees? There's there are some limitations. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a that's a whole world of it. That's a whole world of itself. Right. Um, but native are bees are easier. Native bees native bees are easy because yeah. they're in a lot of properties already. Yeah. Okay. Um, and typically they're stingless bees. Yeah. Um, but what's really interesting is is Australia has so many varieties of bees. The majority of them are solitary bees. You know, and they they sort of live in a community and they'll nest near each other. Right. But they they live and they breed on their own you know so it's not always about having a hive again it's about providing the food and the the ecosystem right. that they need to thrive and continue to do right. what they do right. you know so yeah it's all it's all part of it yeah. yeah one thing i'd like to touch on greg there was when you when you talked about globalism there it's really important in in permaculture we use a sense of understanding our our, our footprint in what we call zones you know, and so zone zero zero is, is the self, and that's the self work that I need to do. How do I change my mindset and my beliefs to actually be able to achieve what it is I want to achieve or make change in the world? If I can't change myself, how can I change something outside yep. of myself? Yep. Um, zone zero then being the house and the home, you know, sprouting on my kitchen kitchen bench, you know, where I store seeds and do my ferments, etc. house plants. Um, zone one being the immediate location around the house. What do I grow? What do I look out the kitchen window to, to put into my dinner? You know, what herbs can I quickly go and grab? Yep. Yep. Zone two then being what's just outside of that, maybe the eggs, the chickens, um, you know, maybe some small fruit trees or some, some um, larger crops, for instance. Um, and then zone three being the, uh, the larger, uh, larger crops or larger productive space that's utilized in a garden, which might be um, you know, corn or pumpkins, sweet potatoes, you know, things that might sprawl and take up a quite a bit of room, uh, bananas, for instance, in, in a tropical setting. And, um, and then zone four being um, the, what we would term as a, as a commercial uh, zone on a, on a larger sort of property. Um, or, for instance, if you had bees in a, in a suburban block and you had like a, a row of bees and that's a commercial operation, for instance, um, then, then that's where we sort of zone that in a sense. And it's understanding how much energy is required to put into it and how much energy comes out of it, yeah? Um, so more energy in close, 
more energy around the home. You know, when I walk to the clothesline or to the post box, you know, to the letterbox, you know, that, that those areas are receiving a lot of attention and awareness. So we're interacting and connecting with those a lot more. But then further out, then we have what we call zone five, which is the wilderness. And that can be that could be the far end of the balcony that you never really get to because <laughs> it's just got a pretty plant there, you know, and it's a, a bougainvillea or something, so it doesn't need to be watered very often yeah. or whatever it is. But it's really nice to look at. So the, the, the more energetic value that we gain from those things is, is beneficial on a larger property that's the wooded area, you know, the forest or the, the wild area, you know. And um, in, a, in a backyard it might be... You know, the palms or, or the area of the yard which which would screen the property that you don't really interact with much um, it doesn't need a lot of attention but but it gives aesthetic value it gives a sense of place and connection you know and it gives and it, and it is actually part of the greater environment now so we use that when when we design landscapes for instance but that also applies to communities you know and so we think about globalism and how far it is that our food comes from and a really great challenge is is doing doing a um, a food uh, the food miles challenge and zoning it. You know, if it comes from within my garden, that's zone zero. You know, because that's that's me. Yep. It's what I control. If it yep. comes from the town, you know, zone one, it's yep. winning. You know, zone two might be you know around uh, around Cairns. Zone three, the whole bio region. Zone four, Queensland. Zone five, Australia. Um, and then, you know, actually having a look at, oh, wow, you know, I've got these, these figs that are from overseas, you know, or, or I've got these dates that come from the Middle East, you know. How often do we need those things? Yeah. And it's kind of like um, taking down the pyramid, you know, it's taking down the hierarchy of the food pyramid, but putting it, putting it in addition, putting it in a circle, which the beautiful thing about a circle is that everyone's equal in a circle, yeah. you know. And so when we, when we use more harmonic shapes as well in our gardens, we find the flow and the connection to those can be um, more enjoyable, more beneficial. And so by seeing the way that we interact in our community on a, on a, on a flat plane, in a sense, instead of compared to something else, um, it, can, it can help us then be more aware of ourselves, maybe more um, excited, more connected to the part of ourselves that we need to change in order to see the change outside of ourselves. So you, when you talk about globalism, it's like, how often do I travel overseas, you know? I might travel around my local area really uh, frequently. Um, I might travel down to the southeast or other parts of Australia, but do I really need to travel overseas every time I wanna yeah. go to nature, yeah. you know? How can, I, how can I bring that into my community? How can I yeah. experience that, yeah. you know, within my yeah. bioregion, yeah. All right, Jay, that's been a fascinating discussion. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm going to put uh, Jay's website, Organic Motion, in the show notes below. Thanks for watching. Both Jay and I are very appreciative of your uh, time today watching. So thanks very much. See you next time.